Hello, everybody, uh, and Kia ora. So today we are finishing uh, the series of webinars on evaluating road preservation and renewal treatments for pavements. And in this session, uh, we will focus on investment uh, decision-making. Uh, welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina. I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ross Garpi. So a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report and the slides uh, for today's presentation can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage uh, during the webinar. If your question relates to any particular slide, please include the slide number uh, in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same questions box if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if your uh, picture freezes or you lose sound, the issue is most likely with your connection. So um, leaving the session, closing your browser and rejoining uh, using the registration link usually helps. This session has been recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available uh, on our website. And if you listen to podcasts, you can find Austroads in your podcast app. So today's presenters are Ching Don Lee from Main Roads Western Australia, uh, Dr. Tim Martin and Tyrone Tool uh, from the Australian Road Research Board. So we will first hear from Chin Don Lee, uh, who will introduce the team and provide a project overview. Then Dr. Tim Martin will do a recap and explain the focus of today's session. Tim will also present the concluding remarks at the end of the webinar. Then Tyrone uh, will talk about value for money, asset preservation and renewal strategies and the tool. Uh, and after Tyrone, Chin Don will present uh, takeaway lessons for agency practices. So welcome to our presenters, and I will now uh, hand over to Chin Don. Hello, everyone. Thank you for attending today's webinar. Thank you, Katerina, for the introduction. In the next section, I will provide some background information of the project. I'm the project manager from Australia side. Uh, the research team is from Australia Road Research Board with Tyrone too the team project lead and the team member include Dr. Tim Martin and Radita Singh. This was a very complex project involving lots of stakeholder consultations, which was very challenging during this global pandemic. The team quickly adapted to the new normal and keep the communication line open. I would like to take this opportunity to thank the ARP team for their passion on the work and for their professionalism. The report has been reviewed according to the standard Austro's procedures involve working group review and task force review. 
the working group come from most of the Australian and New Zealand road agencies. Uh, also, we have this task force members. Uh, I will not go to the individual names. On behalf of Outroads, I thank you all for your contributions. However, there's one name I'd like to mention, Tom McHugh. He initiated and managed the first half of the project before his retirement from Minerals WA. Without his contribution, we were not able to have this webinar. So thank you very much, Tom, for your work. So why the project? As an answer the managers, we face a few very common challenges, such as due to the aging and expansion of the network, we have to do more with less. And we are experiencing loss of corporate knowledge as older generations are retiring. For example, in Mayo's WA, incapability to retain staff with adequate skill and knowledge was rated as the highest risk to the organization. Although we have put a lot of efforts on getting new generation into the asset management field, but the lack of the clarity in understanding range of treatment options or strategies lead to poor decisions. On top of this, is that our funding needs face more and more public scrutiny. How can we effectively sell the message? After extensive discussion among the assets task force members, it was agreed that it would be very useful to have a document that can provide guidance on how to develop mm -hmm. optimal asset preservation and renewable strategies through the whole of life costing analysis, which includes load agency cost and load user cost as well. The project would also provide opportunity to capture the best practices. Therefore, the junior asset managers can use it as a practical guide. Use the case studies. It would provide a appealing asset management story to assist our stakeholders better understand the risk level to the community and the various funding scenarios. Now I pass to Dr. Tim Martin for the next section of the webinar. Over to you, Tim. Thank you very much, Chen Dong, for your support. Um, I appreciate that, and um, I'll get on with this presentation. Thank you also for Austro's support for this, and um, um, I will get on with it, but uh, also the project working group <coughs> has also been great in supporting the work we've done. Just to recap on today's work and what we've completed here, um, the, one of the most important things is to develop a, a timely preventative intervention on, on the network or the various parts that we're looking at, uh, and also decide whether to uh, just deal with preventative intervention or whether you need to undertake uh, further work uh, where it may be needed. These are all very important issues and need to be resolved. Now, the guiding principles behind this whole approach is to basically look at an outcome focus, which is a focus on the customer as required by Australia's Guide to Asset Management and being able to balance economic efficiency uh, you know, with equity, which is a difficult thing actually, because they're not they're not necessarily going in the same direction. Also, we're going to look at practices that uh, have been employed by at least two road agencies, Main Roads Western Australia and Transport for New South Wales. We're looking at both their preservation and asset renewal practices. 
And in order to do the sort of analysis, there's a, there's a tool that's been developed, and this tool has got uh, road deterioration works effects models, and uh, that have been developed from a wide analysis of observations over many years, and uh, looking at the performance of treatments as well. And this has been all installed into a pavement lifecycle costing uh, tool, which has looked at this eight particular case studies we've examined as part of this work. So we'll guide you through that. What do we need to control? <clears throat> well, the most important thing to control really is obviously the deterioration of the pavement. And that is usually done by earlier intervention or stitch in time approach. As you can see by this diagram here, um, there's a point where you can decide to intervene uh, with either some sort of form of re re resurfacing or even possibly rehabilitation. Um, and that does restore conditions to some extent. If it's a, it's a surface condition of thin surface, it usually will do something to the surface conditions, but it may not address structural ones. But the idea here is again to be able to see this pavement through to its final uh, remaining life where it'll have either a rehabilitation or reconstruction. But this is the way to manage the pavement through judicious intervention, timely intervention with the appropriate treatment. It's a balance. This is where we're referring to the balance between equity, the gold, when we call this the balance where we achieve the Goldilocks zone. Uh, here we can see on the left the costs that are involved, the, the road agency cost, which increases as you want to improve conditions, maintenance standards, whilst that also reduces the road user costs. So it can, an optimum situation there is a minimum transport cost when you sum these two cost streams together. That's seen as the Goldilocks zone. That can be achieved by balancing the um, uh, levels of service. In this case, if we were to provide everyone with a wonderful level of service, we would certainly consume the budget and we would be um, not getting anywhere near minimum transport costs. So the usual approach is to gradual, have gradual differences in uh, levels of service which are related to levels of traffic. We'll talk about that a bit more as we go on into this um, work and Tyron and I'll show you a lot more uh, about this. That's the balance we're trying to achieve with, with transport efficiency and, and equity. Uh, then there's examples of practice. Now, I've just up on the slide here is the Main Roads Western Australian selection process for treatments. It's, it's based very much on the condition of the road, its age and various other factors. And the aim of this is to try and select the most appropriate treatment for the kind of distress you're dealing with. And it's very much geared to uh, much more uh, judicious and earlier intervention allowing things to go on to a disastrous or much higher levels of distress. Of course, that does require a, a better management of the budget as well. However, in New South Wales, Transfer for New South Wales also has a great example of how they've uh, distributed their levels of service across the network for different types of network. Obviously, the higher trafficked, more important part of the network has an A-class type of uh, levels of service and a much higher level of speed allowed on it, whilst the lower trafficked end of the network has um, Lower, lower, lower freight demand and also an accompanying lower level of speed that's allowed on it. But this is the way to manage the levels of service within the budget and they've done a great job in doing that in New South Wales. Now I'm going to just pass you over to Tyrone who'll talk a lot more about the value for money strategies and the, the tool that the pavement lifecycle costing demonstration tool. Over to you Tyrone, thanks very much. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, uh, Chin Dong and the Austro team, and thank you for all the 
participation and support of the working group and the task force members, and of course, to the audience who's taken their time today to join this session. As Tim said, I'm going to give a, a bit more of a view on the adopted framework. We've been presenting it over the series. Some will be familiar to you. And then I will extend into uh, other case study examples, which I think give that bigger picture view of where we can best deliver best value. So if I then move on to the uh, opening content slide, one of the key features of uh, and expectations from this work was really to make uh, use of high quality payment condition and structural information, which is now becoming more available right across the nation, and particularly uh, for state and territory road authorities and our New Zealand colleagues as well. <coughs> Excuse me. But greater quality is also being achieved at a local government level, uh, and we can see that, and you'll be aware of that. It's clear from what Tim introduced that road, road category, uh, specific service levels and interventions needed, need to be taken into account. Uh, and, and we're driving this initially from an economic point of view, as well as what might be minimum interventions and things from an equity point of view. We need to be considering different treatments and preventative options. Tim also mentioned road categories and calibration deterioration rates we're built drawing in the best available information we've got and there's been many many years of Austroads research in this area that we're tapping into surfacing lives again uh, understanding that how they vary by location the different surfacing treatments that are now used and and also modern binders and the like how can you account for those in your analysis. One of the uh, very uh, strong uh, factors in determining effectiveness, et cetera, that's been coming in is a combination of deterioration, but also the upkeep costs if we go beyond that stitch in time point. And information of that kind, which has often been missing in the past, is now becoming of higher quality and can be demonstrated and, and applied. So to give you some uh, overview, we'll cover the adopted framework and support and tools very much. A, it's economic evaluation driven with the performance of treatments and service levels. And then we have a suite of tools and models, et cetera, that we've incorporated into what we call our payment life cycle cost demonstration tool. And the whole purpose of this is really to, as Chindong alluded to in the introduction, is to introduce people to, let's call it a sandpit, where they can investigate uh, taking inputs into, a, into different circumstances, different locations, different treatments, with a small set of data, a relatively small set of data, but good quality information to get these estimates, to vary the inputs and to see how then the tool responds to build their own case studies. So the idea is to keep it 
uh, open and transparent in that way, but have these estimates all available uh, and, and for the tool to be configurable. So we're talking about life cycle costs, as mentioned by Tim, road, user, road agency and road user, the trade-off between them. We're using a long-term analysis, and that's really because pavement assets can last a long time. And if you invest of them, you should be reaping the benefits of that investment. So we don't want to over uh, shorten the analysis period and not capture the benefits to users that pavement assets provide. We can do fairly substantial analysis, uh, greater than a thousand analysis records, perhaps even more than that significantly if we did a small a network type of problem for perhaps a council or a, a sub-network on, on one of our road authority areas. There's a whole range of user-divine treatments and interventions and the models are in there, all, all the aspects that, that was aimed to be covered. So some of the basics are we, we deal with economic costs, but we first need to predict treatment needs, when, do the, when are the costs incurred that are aligned with those treatments over the life cycle, like a cash flow analysis, and then we need to apply the convention, conventional discounting procedures to come up with present values. And it's those that we use in economics, which is uh, an established uh, discipline, uh, and we're using those techniques in this tool. As we then move on, just thinking about the applications, comparing different treatments, as I said, mentioned on total transport costs, trying to minimize them, looking at network level case studies, perhaps, or perhaps uh, project level case studies, project specific case studies, application of condition responsive rules where you wait until a certain level of distress and the distress type occurs, and you respond or scheduled rules, which have often been used, uh, say, for surfacing lives in the absence of great competence and deterioration at times. But also, as illustrated over here on the right, is being able to model that gradual, gradual deterioration phase and then what happens afterwards. And we're showing in this example, if you take the red zone, we're in a Thornsweight's moisture index of 50, which is getting wet, a, and, and a moderate strength. And the deterioration is quite significantly different from, say, a similar strength pavement, but in a drier area. So being able to get that responsiveness into the model and also uh, the responsiveness of strength differences, etc., its response to traffic, uh, we're building on the, the evidence from, from our long-term performance sites and network evidence around the country. So in terms of today, what I wish to go through is three case studies, touching on some of the key elements of them. And case study A, which draws on Western Australia, is it, is it looks at the value of timely resurfacing and lower cost rehabilitation and maximizing service levels. 
So again, we'll step through that and see uh, how the evidence has come together and how the analysis was done and what it was pointing at. Case study H, minimizing total costs and treatment coverage, maximizing tre treatment coverage, accounting for LOS and what we call treatment demand. And when we're mentioning that, and uh, most of the time, we're trying to distinguish between are we doing a, a surface or an upper pavement reprofiling, et cetera, or are we doing something much more substantial? Or can we avoid that much more substantial and costly uh, treatment by, by judicious and timely use of alternative treatments? It's a good example of uh, that is case study H. Come back to case study F, which is really about realistic options, and then accounting in this example uh, for the benefits, which aren't always quantified, of reduced crashes from the treatments which are being provided. So taking the uh, first case study, just a summary here of the different case studies is there's four which have been demonstrated, uh, some of them been demonstrated before, ATD. This example, E, asset preservation and renewal on a regional highway. And what it's looking at is minimum maintenance is one alternative, uh, reseal, shape correction, rehabilitation treatments. And it's located in this example in Western Australia. So just a few. Uh, aspects about the objectives and the issues that were being faced, alternative resale and timing, accounting for routine holding costs. And this is where you'll see the value of capturing this information. Intervention limits for pavement rehabilitation, recognition of whether there's uh, a need for significant additional structural work or does it exist already? and the pavement really needs a reprofiling, not a strengthening treatment and treatment cost rates. So these different factors all having effect. So if we look at some of the information as shown here, we've got pavements of very uh, significant ages, 80 years, 59 years. So again, we need to capture, there's a benefit still being delivered to the community here we need to capture its value. So we think in terms of long-term analysis and perhaps what treatments just keep them keeping on, very important. Some of the surfacing ages, 11 years, and you might say, well, that's probably about time it was replaced in, in typical practice. In the examples here, there are two which are really stretching the limit, 28 years. The Estimated seal life using the risk-adjusted main roads WA model. They've adopted the Arbost roads uh, oxidation model, but uh, adapted it locally and with the knowledge of the practices, etc. They can get 18 years typically, but they've pushed it out about 10 years beyond that. There was a particular reason for this, so it became a bit of an experiment, at least for us. What's noticeable, if you'll see here about the average costs of upkeep, you've got a few thousand and several hundred 
at one end of the, the these, these sections, but you've got these massive annual costs in this area associated with these uh, old surfacings. And it's really built up progressively over time. What's interesting in the right is where we ad adapted a design approach to assessing treatment demand. There was still very significant capacity in overall structure. So you then come back to this issue, we're dealing with an upper uh, pavement and surfacing issue, which perhaps could be treated then for what it is and not necessarily a full strengthening uh, treatment. If I explain a bit further on, uh, on this, on in this diagram here, you'll see in uh, orange and yellow, you'll see the state average uh, annual uh, cost or cumulative cost in this case of routine maintenance repairs as uh, with surfacing age. If we take the particular example, what's happened is in its case, it's it, uh, demonstrated accelerated uh, costs at some time, perhaps around 15 years or, or so, and it's really screamed up. And hence you have this very, very significant level of cost going into pavement repairs. Now, just to put this in perspective, for, for a road of this kind, a two-lane, two-way, uh, single carriageway, it probably costs about $50,000 a kilometre to reseal it. So after some years, you and you see it heading up towards a quarter million dollars, that's equivalent of many reseals. And hence, if, if funding had perhaps been directed towards timely sealing, then those costs could have been much, much lower. Uh, and there would be some still in the bank or available to use to be used elsewhere on the network. So it was a, an example which may pose a headache for a local asset manager, but for us as researchers and planners trying to improve our practice, it's real solid evidence of what to avoid. And the kind of issues that we're facing there was the surfacing that was then deteriorating, the base perhaps uh, the surface was cracking, moisture was getting in, you can see some uh, staining and uh, pumping uh, going on, and it's that that led to the need for increased pavement repairs at these uh, large costs. It's what we're trying to avoid. So a good example in that, in that case. Then what we did is take a whole series of examples and you see the strategies here uh, running along the bottom of this chart. On the right hand side, left hand side, we have the total transport costs for the different options. And you see that, that they form a classic Goldilocks kind of shape as Tim illustrated earlier. Over on the right, we have the road agency costs and this blue line draws what they're uh, roughly looking like. What's interesting here is the target uh, uh, maximum intervention level for roughness was about 4.2 IRI. The sweet spot is shown, and this is using standard costs in the analysis, 
assuming strengthening would be required and a full pavement replacement, the sweet spot is saying your, your minimum transport cost is with an option at an IRI of 5.2. You could stand back and say, okay, I'll go with that. Or you could, as we show in the next slide, is go better. So what happened in the, in the continuation of this work was look at a variable cost associated with treatments that address, address the problem that you see on the site. That is probably a reworking uh, of the base, a re-ripping ripping reprocess, perhaps some top up in sale at a, a, a much lower cost and hence your Goldilocks position moves. We've plotted these alternative uh, treatments around the sweet spot and what's happened is that our uh, low cost rehab, which is what was adopted, at a, uh, an intervention of 3.4 IRI proved to be the minimum uh, transport cost solution. So what was happening here was being able to deliver, you could say, a better outcome in road user cost terms and community cost terms at an overall lower cost to the agency as well. So this is the kind of investigation that we encourage. So it's even better, as we say, we're in the pink, uh, one of my old sayings. Taking another example, case study H, where we investigated optimum economic intervention levels across a network. And this was really from New South Wales, where you saw earlier again with Tim, the different the LOS structure by the different sub-networks. And we, we looked at three uh, uh, road groups of different LOS, uh, and we examined that whole network, uh, we understood the different uh, conditions that were on the network, the structural value of those, those 100, 100 meter segments that we were analyzing the network at. Uh, and we also varied the treatment costs. And the treatment costs were varied where it was appropriate that uh, there was sufficient structural capacity in the pavements uh, for them to be valid to be used. So you saw earlier uh, the example on, on the right of the sub-network uh, LOS categories, etc. So again, uh, perhaps an economic investigation the range of different conditions that we covered in the matrix, you could see, of analysis, uh, varying road condition, so looking at good, fair, poor roads in different groups, classifying them, looking at pavement strengths, uh, again, uh, a range of uh, pavement deflection, looking at traffic levels from uh, perhaps around 1,000 vehicles a day to more than 10,000 vehicles a day, and also looking at traffic composition, uh, heavier or lower uh, proportions, higher or lower proportions of heavy vehicles. The analysis was done for a single region in this case, as an example. The introduced into our earlier work was also uh, this banding of condition, uh, classifying 
Uh, certain pavements in a NAS new condition is very good, easy to communicate the, this kind of classification to uh, lay people, you would say, or non-specialists. Good, as our colleagues would uh, describe from New South Wales, a nearly preventative condition. They consider doing something at that point. Fair, a late preventative condition, again, they consider that as an option poor where it's really gone beyond a, a reasonable service and very poor where it's becoming unacceptable. So again, being able to consider at what point do we intervene. The interesting outcomes of, of this work are, I've summarized here in this graph, where I've plotted the maximum roughness intervention level, the that, that uh, coincides with minimum TT's total transport costs for different traffic levels and for different costs of treatments. So let's just look at the, the upper uh, line. And if we can only, and we can only determine that a heavy treatment is used on all our sites, then you're Maximum roughness intervention level uh, that coincides with minimizing TTCs follows this line. Just take an example up here. If, if a thousand uh, vehicles a day, the low cost uh, treatment gives you an optimum intervention of four IRI, if you're having to spend let's say double the amount, standard cost, then you're having to push your economic intervention up to about five and a half. But if in fact we know this treatment can work at 4.2 with uh, a 50% cost uh, treatment and it's appropriate, it's not a structural, massive structural issue, then why shouldn't we choose this? If we take another example at 4,000, uh, vehicles a day, you might have an intervention around three or a bit above three, that early preventative kind of treatment, as opposed to waiting to nearly four IRI. So you're delivering uh, most likely significant uh, benefits to the uh, community. And this approach ties in pretty well with the Transport for New South Wales service risk on the right quality side when you build when you apply uh, their chart on the on the bottom right hand side, which Liam Terrace has explained in our previous email, uh, in our in our previous uh, webinar rather. So what we're doing in a lot of this work is confirming some of the foundation. Uh, uh, procedures and that that they use, but we're backing it up, reinforcing, re-establishing the economic value of those strategies. If we then go on to our third and last case study I wish to uh, touch on again today, it concerns optimum intervention levels again for pavement renewal and added to that the benefits of crash reduction measures where there are additional treatments or perhaps improved signs, line markings, et cetera, being introduced when a pavement renewal project is done. What this does, it, 
uh, draws on a case study from the Hunter region where we worked with the region in support of councils in their uh, application for grants and it, ex uh, and it utilizes or investigates reseal treatments, shape correction and rehabilitation treatments as well as crash reduction measures. So let's just have a look at uh, one of the first aspects of this. Now you'll notice here uh, a pavement in an extremely deteriorated condition, this red line here, sitting here at about 8 IRI. Now, you'd be very surprised to see many roads like this, but I can assure you in some of our country roads, this is what they can be like. Uh, there'd been severe budget constraints, they've missed the stitch in time, and the treatment at this time needs to be very significant. We are uh, proposing and a team proposed a rehabilitation and it follows a green line here. You could do two things about the benefits. You could measure them from the red to the green, or I might say, well, you don't do nothing. The red is a do nothing case almost. And so we introduced an intermediate holding treatment where uh, shape correction and patching, et cetera, is trying to hold that payment over time. And so the emphasis here was on comparison of realistic options. Uh, as I said, uh, you would not continue to do almost nothing on this road. You'd have the community uh, against you uh, quite, uh, quite properly. The other aspect, as I mentioned, was then bringing, bringing in to the analysis a, a simplified crash reduction calculation process not going to the whole OSRAP or ANRAM modeling, but taking more a cost-benefit analysis approach, which we've adopted very well uh, in Australia and New Zealand, taking unadjusted crash rates using the model road state type of uh, road configuration type of approach and, and our uh, estimated cr uh, crash rates, fatal, serious, etc. Uh, in those different conditions. And then using our experience from the safe system work in modifying the expected crash rate, both the likelihood of crashes, so the total crashes can reduce, and the severity of crashes by introducing lines, improved tactile edge lines perhaps, adding sealed shoulders as a recovery zone. Uh, protection, uh, barriers, etc., And we build up the picture that we've now got adjusted crash rates for, that, uh, for those segments. And again, this is described in Appendix E of, uh, e of the report, I think it is, mentions D there. Uh, uh, but it builds up from that very uh, well-established work in the 2000s by Ostroads into this area adds in the safe system uh, supporting treatments and the primary treatments to get these uh, adjusted estimates of total crashes and fatal and seriously injured crashes, which we then take through to analysis. The benefit of this was a doubling of the net present value, the benefits, the total transport cost savings, and a nearly three times increase in the marginal benefit cost ratio or the bang for the buck. 
something that I'm sure you'd all be pleased to have, deliver benefits to the community and uh, have an overall more effective outcome in terms of crash rates as well. Thank you, and I'll hand back to, uh, sorry, I've got one or two more slides to do uh, in a bit of a rush there. So taking all that together, we've got the published reports, we've got eight case studies explained in there, we've got our PLCDT uh, template and a case study. Uh, it's available for download along with the report. Uh, you're welcome to make queries on the use of the tool, the application, and, and the, the overall knowledge to Ostroads and the email here also from AWRB. Uh, so that's the end of my uh, presentation. I'll hand over to Tim in a moment, but please continue to send through your questions, noting the slide number that your any question refers to, if it's appropriate. Here we go. And the first okay. Thank you very much, uh, Katrina, and thank you very much, Tyrone, for your uh, your exposition there on uh, what we've done in this project. I've just this is very much a summary and consolidation of what we've done, and this is based here on this particular slide uh, on main roads Western Australian practices, and one of their principles is to keep good roads good, and this is very much in line with what we found that a worst first approach is not the way to go. Uh, the good roads good are good because they've got lots of traffic on them. It's essential that the, you must preserve as much of the network as possible, but obviously you can't always preserve it in the perfect condition that you might desire to have it. Uh, our belief and is good maintenance data leads to good decision. This is this has also been shown through the work that's been done through understanding the costs of the various maintenance treatments, where you are spending more money on the network than necessary. And that's also a conclusion that was shown in chapter six as the previous conclusion. So if you, you do need good data to, do in, to make any informed decision. Can I have the next slide, please? Thanks. This is, as, as we're talking about the costs of maintenance, this is a uh, graph of the maintenance costs of rehabilitation uh, and one particular uh, sites where the rehabilitation site, rehabilitation was going through the roof, the rest of the rehabilitation is fairly modest in terms of the total expenditure, but this particular site was showing a gradual uh, increase over time to the point where there was a serious amount of money being spent. And this is merely because um, it was being band-aided, I suppose you could say, or minimum intervent intervention treatments that had to be done frequently to keep the road in a safe state. And as we know, this is uh, not, not the best practice. It went beyond the tipping point and uh, was causing a great deal of trouble. So that is, again, not the best practice. Can we move on to the next one, please? Uh, this is the um, conclusions that we've come to also as part of this uh, work, and these have been fully endorsed by Transport for New South Wales. This is about the first one, the timely intervention can minimise long-term total transport costs of the community. And our friends at Transport New South Wales, in the form of Liam Terrace, totally agrees with that, and they are implementing a road user cost in their, in their pavement management system to, to make sure that they do achieve minimum total transport costs as well as get good intervention and achieve these both these aims of equity and, and uh, economic efficiency. An optimised, the next point is an optimised asset preservation renewal strategy that is based on network level whole of life cycle costing 
can lead to significant savings for both the agency and the users. And our friends at New Transfer for New South Wales agree that a total life cycle costing optimization process ensures ultimately that what you do, you get the right treatment at the right time at the right location. And this is not a worse for first approach. It completely avoids that because of the need to minimize total life cycle costs. Harnessing and using, the last point, harnessing and using road maintenance costing data can empower the agencies to avoid a true and conduct a true comparison when considering the best approach network. Yes, and our, again, our friends at uh, Transport for New South Wales agree that the treatment of unit cost treatments massively affect prediction outcomes. The focus on cost effectiveness is crucial. And as we saw in the earlier example, where you're putting a lot of money into a particular place where you haven't intervened early enough is not a good idea at all. So I move to the next one and I'll probably the summary now, thanks. Okay, the consolidated findings of this work. First of all, roughness intervention levels, which minimize total transport costs, depend on traffic levels. And obviously the higher the traffic, the, the higher, the better the level of service and the lower the roughness and it's the traffic levels and its composition, mainly heavy vehicles and the cost of rehabilitation treatments. Obviously, rehabilitation treatments can be either directed at surface, very much surface functional conditions or structural conditions. And the ones at structural conditions are much higher costs and you need to be able to determine what you are addressing in with your rehabilitation to minimize the cost expense. Lower cost uh, preservation treatments combining both timely reseals and partial rehabilitation shape correction were shown to be highly beneficial compared to delaying the treatments and using high routine maintenance holding costs. That was well and truly demonstrated. So if you can manage the deterioration through intervene, intervening in a timely manner with the right sort of a treatment and rehabilitations that are purely directed to, to the distress, not, not necessarily uh, other things that you might think you're, that are occurring. If you have good measurements of, of condition, you know you're either dealing with a functional condition or a structural condition or both. Um, point three, for most of the sprayed seal granular pavement case, net agency road cost savings were achieved with the optimal strategy as well as road use of cost savings. And that's a win-win situation, which also supports timely intervention. Um, Fourth point and a very important point, accounting for crash cost savings can, that can be derived from a selection of safety related treatments has been shown to significantly increase the net present value and marginal benefits of cost ratio make these examples substantially more viable. As we've talked here, we've mainly dealt with road user costs that have been vehicle operating costs and time saving costs. But when you start accounting for crash cost savings, you can justify quite a lot of the surface treatments on the basis that they do reduce the, the rate of incidence of accidents. We looked at two case studies which examined asphalt pavements and these showed for moderately traffic roads, high costs, high treatment costs mean intervention levels are going to be higher uh, in order to achieve the overall optimization. But for long life pavements on very highly trafficked roads, early intervention minimizes costs. So this is the, the balance here between the levels of traffic causing different uh, levels of treatment and different levels of uh, intervention and levels of service. Last, uh, I think this is the last time, slide coming up, thanks Katrina. Um, my concluding remarks, and this, this has gone on for quite a while about the value of timely intervention was shown to definitely minimize cost, both uh, road agency costs and total transport costs. Supporting levels of service by ensuring fit for service treatments. And again, this is 
the uh, levels of service are achieved by using the right sort of treatment to, the, to address the kind of distress that you have. Uh, and then you, uh, part of this levels of service is being able to consider the level of traffic use. So the levels of service improve with the increased levels of traffic. Uh, and then the, the next point is understanding the treat, true treatment demand. Why is that treatment needed? And this, this helps in, in the selection of the right treatment at the right place at the right time. The other thing is the importance of counting for all costs. Our models in this mainly dealt with just road user costs, but we can also consider things like accident costs or accident cost savings plus in more elaborate analysis, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, delay costs and so forth. So there is a, a whole range of costs that could be considered and, and provide you with a better analysis. Uh, then of course here, the additional benefits from complementary safety treatments are, are very much a big help. Uh, if you can consider them and you have the appropriate models to do that. I think that's all I have to say. I think the next thing is just questions. Thank you very much everybody for your attention and we're open open for business. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Tim. Uh, so Chin Don and Aaron, please join us um, for the Q&A. Uh, it probably will be short and sweet because we don't have very many questions, so I'll just uh, dive straight into it. Um, so, speaking about what we need to control, um, do you have any guidance um, on how to treat potholes? Um, for example, what type of potholes should be treated and um, what the best options for that? Um, available. Shall I answer? Well, I mean, what we aim to do is not to have potholes remaining on the road for almost any time. Uh, and, and we know from uh, various practices that are implemented through contracts, the Road Management Act in Victoria, etc. We've got response times, we've got inspection frequencies, but potholes right at the top of things that we would call a hazard, not just to, uh, so it's got a safety impact as well. So identify it through regular inspection, treat as soon as possible, uh, get out there and cut it out and patch it properly. Now, again, there are various uh, more innovative methods of uh, getting the right mix and laying it into potholes and filling them. But generally speaking, it's really doing effective patching to the point that you're not back there again. And that's what you've got to watch, that so you don't have to do it and you're back again at an exorbitant cost. But catch it early. Yep, um, speaking about cost, um... So does um, cost-benefit analysis vary with selected um, planning time of 5, 10 and 50 years? Is it correct that analysis of cost and treatment should not be beyond 20 years um, since the constant um, advance of pavement technology every 10, 20 years can significantly change the outcome of the analysis? I mean, I, I can give my answer. The key is we need to act on the best, uh, make the best decision now 
to be trying to stargaze and think, oh, we might wait for better technology here, there, etc. We're trying to make best use of available funds now with a long-term view and with the technology available. It does make it does improve over time, but we're probably talking about percentage improvements and not massive, massive improvements. So a long-term view, but a timely response now is key. I wouldn't wait. Tim, if we have time, you can share your perspective if you have uh, anything to add, please. I pretty much endorse what Tyron has said. The problem is with short-term analysis, uh, there are some big long-term issues brewing ahead with with major rehabilitation part of, the, part of the life cycle of a pavement. So it's very useful to me to understand what you need to have in store for the longer term as well. I mean, I know road authorities don't always work on a long-term basis because their budgets are not always fixed and they're not in a position where they can collect money to deal with the longer term. But the best practice would be able to allow, be able to account for long-term issues. And uh, as Tyrone says, we, there, there will be some improvements in technology, but they're not going to be so big they're going to take 20 or 30% off the cost. Okay, I can add a little bit on this. Uh, I guess the key for this research, we try to promote, we use two whole-of-life cost analysis, which include all uh, costs involved. For example, in the past, if we don't have a maintenance cost data, you cannot incorporate routine maintenance cost in your true whole life life cost analysis. But if you have this data, like currently main roads have, we can conduct a true whole life cost analysis to find a different option. What's the consequence of your short, your adopt short term treatment? What's the long term treatment? So you can really do some do cost analysis to find what's the best option for you to select. So I guess that's the key. You need to do whole of life cost and not just pick one or say two, just guessing. Um, a general question here. So could you explain the benefits of the deterioration model um, and its deterioration prediction for pavement management? I'll have first go because I was involved in developing those models. Well, it allows you to predict the future. Uh, over a period of time. I mean, there, there's always a bit of uncertainty about this. We don't pretend these models are perfect at this stage, but what most practitioners have done is tended to calibrate them to suit their local conditions so that they're reasonable. You need to know when you, and that allows you to decide when you are likely to intervene further down the track and you have a works program that's scheduled to meet those, those demands down the track. And obviously they, you don't basically do everything that these predictions say in the sense you've got to go out in the field to validate them, get some ground truth to see whether they do need intervention in those places. But they're a very good start uh, to plan your maintenance and your and your works program. Chin Dong wants to say any more or Tyrone, I'll leave it to you guys. Thanks. Uh, with my thinking about the, the uh, youngsters amongst us and intergenerational equity, etc. You, you should plan for the future and know what's around the corner uh, and not leave the wrong legacy. Uh, and we know that the stitch in time and these kind of approaches are going to minimise costs. So plan for the future. And I'd say that is equitable uh, and reasonable and rational. 
<笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><
uh, light rehab treatments uh, really get consolidated down into the districts, etc. For instance, you've got to follow it through. Uh, you can't just uh, preach a bit on something and think it will happen. So we we're putting this out there. A lot of people support it. I've got you know directors and asset management and that saying we're doing it. You know, or we've probably been doing it in the regions anyway, as we know in West Australia. So you've got to follow it through. And don't take no for an answer in terms of, oh, I don't feel like doing that. We've got to build confidence and follow it through. It can work. Um, good. Uh, so well, one last question uh, before we wrap up. Um, so how does this uh, framework align with Austro's health indices and remaining useful life assessments? Again, I can answer that. I'll talk about remaining useful life. Uh, what the, the two things that we uh, produce out the estimates in here, we produce an estimate of the remaining surface life, and that's with the best knowledge around in terms of uh, distress initiation, oxidation, and, uh, and the like. Uh, and we also produce an estimate of remaining structural life, the heavier type treatments from the application of the deterioration models. Separate to that in Appendix E, we propose the adaptation of a design technique to estimate the remaining treatment uh, life uh, using uh, a Part 5 Austroads, uh, adapting a Part 5 Austroads design technique. So there's a, a number of methods there that you can choose to employ, and even if you employ two of them on the structural side, you can compare. Uh, so it's building on stuff that is published and and supported. Yeah, I, I don't see any conflict with the framework we're talking about here in estimating remaining life, because remaining life has got several criteria, and one of them, of course, is the structural criteria of the road, but the other one is the functional state of the road as well. So, and often, I suspect most of the time the functional conditions are usually the ones that are needed to be meet for, met first. So, uh, and those you only know you're going to hit those through having a good understanding of the whole of life performance of a pavement under the various conditions that it's going to be subject to. Um, well, I guess that's it. That's the end of um, our Q&A session. We've answered all the questions. Thanks so much, Tim and Chindon and Tyrone. And I'm passing on to you all the thanks from, um, from our audience. Um, very grateful for the series um, and, and, and the session. So before we wrap up, um, I will just say a few words about our future webinars as usual. Um, if you are interested in, in the use of emerging technology to improve uh, the asset management of roads. So please use us, uh, please um, join us on the 22nd of June to learn what data collection technologies are currently available uh, for road pavement assessment um, and how the benefits uh, compare to costs. We have also published two technical reports uh, drawing together the research underpinning changes made to key components of the guide to pavement technology. Um, and the webinar for this project is on the 3rd of August. So register if you haven't already. And uh, for more information about all our sessions, please visit the Austroads uh, website. 
Um, and as usual, once we close um, out today's session, a question will pop up on your screen. So please uh, take a few minutes to send us your feedback. Um, it really helps us um, to know what you liked, what you didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Once again, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's available on our website. Um, thanks again, everybody. Um, stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yep.